Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Are you hungry to advance your prophetic calling and step into your unique prophetic destiny? It's time to break the silence, stand boldly in dark places, and resound the truth across the nations. Join us at the School of the Prophets, a transformative four-and-a-half-day intensive training school. You will gain understanding in your prophetic calling, refine your gifting, and grow in confidence to spearhead cultural change. Register for this year's School of the Prophets, August 7th through the 11th, in person or online at Bethel.com forward slash events. God bless. Lord, we bless this day. We thank you for what you're doing, and we pray, God, that this would be the day that you've made. Pray this, this would be the day of returning fathers. This would be the day of restoration of sons and daughters, fathers and mothers. In Jesus' name, we bless this day. Amen. Well, it is Father's Day, and I have the privilege of being able to speak on Father's Day, so that's, uh, actually didn't remember it was Father's Day till I had my another message prepared, and my daughter's like, hey, I want to say happy Father's Day to you, Dad. It's Father's Day this week. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> Probably should talk about Father's Day, about fathers. Well, I, wanted to, I, I actually gave a title to this message called The Things That Fathers Do. And, you know, I, I think that I, you know, sometimes you learn things from watching other people. Sometimes you learn things from the things that you didn't get in life that you needed. And you know my story. My father drowned when I was three years old, and he drowned fishing. He, uh, the, there was a really bad storm in a little place called Anderson Dam. It would be the size of, like, Whiskey Town. Uh, my father was an avid swimmer and a fisherman. And uh, a bad storm came. It turned the boat over. My, my dad was with two other men. One of them was 12 or 13-year-old, my uncle. He couldn't swim. My father swam him to shore went back for the boat, and never came home. They found him at 3 o'clock in the morning, in the middle of a storm, drugged for him, and found him on the bottom of the lake. Forever changed my life. I didn't speak. I stopped speaking from age 3 to age 5. And then my mother remarried a very violent man, and um, I got my first beating the first week that they were together. So I... um, really didn't have a father in my life, most of my life, but my grandfather became my father. And my grandfather was not the kind of father you would choose in that he didn't go to my games. I never remember him wrestling on the floor with me. My grandfather's idea of raising me was to be with me. No, no, not be with me, me be with him. So I followed my grandfather around for years. Um, you know, I remember being under a car with him while he was working on a car, and I was probably five or six, and six or seven maybe, and talking his ear off, and he always called me knucklehead. Okay, knucklehead. And, uh, but my grandfather was a mechanic, and he owned one of the very first service stations in the Bay Area. And, and you know, John Maxwell says, most of us become what the most important person in our life thinks they should become. And I knew from the time I was little, I mean, I can't remember a time when I, I I mean, I don't know if I was five or six or eight or nine, but I don't ever remember a time not knowing what I was going to do when I grew up because I wanted to be like my grandfather. And so he, he, uh, 
I followed him around. He spoke in my life. He wasn't a Christian till the last year of his life. I led him to the Lord, which was beautiful. I led him to the Lord, which was beautiful. On top of that, you know, I'll tell you this story real quickly. My, when I was um, 18, I had a radical conversion, radical. And when I was 20, we got, Kathy and I got married. And one day I said to Kathy, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go lead my, my grandfather to the Lord, who was an avid atheist. And she's like, okay. I said, pray for me. I'll be back. <laughs> and I went to my grandfather's house, who I've adored my whole life. And I said, Grandpa, I received Jesus. And da, da, da. my grandfather just did not like anything to do with religion. And he used to tell me that when my mom would tell me to pray, he'd say, don't lie to him. There is no God. But I said to my grandfather, I've had this encounter with God, and his name is Jesus. And, and, he, and I, said, I, I, lo- he, I said, would you like to serve him? He said, I would. I led him in a prayer, a simple prayer. You know one of those prayers where you're like, I hope this works? <laughs> Do you know that kind of prayer? So I led him in a prayer. There was no tears. It was very matter of fact, which would, if you knew my grandfather, would be very much like it. I've never saw my grandfather cry. And so I left the house. Maybe the whole thing was like half an hour. And, um, and like a week, no, uh, not a week, a month or two later, uh, my grandfather called me. My, I never knew my grandfather knew how to dial a phone. <laughs> he, he despised answering it, a phone. So he calls me and he goes, I need you to come to the house. Bye. And he hangs up on me. That would be very much like my grandfather's. I'm like, something must terribly wrong. And I jumped in the car and he lived about three miles from us. And Kat's like, go, you better go. And so I, I ran to the house and he said, come in the bedroom. And I'm, my grandfather's like the opposite of private, if you can imagine by my personality. And um, I go in the bedroom and we sit on the bed and my grandfather tells me about two angels who had been teaching him the Bible. Actually, I said it was a month after his conversion. It was six months, because I now remember the conversation. He said, they've been coming for six months. They sit on the bed, and they teach me the Bible. And he told me what they were teaching him. It was like Bill Johnson kind of stuff, moments. It's pretty cool. Funny part of the story is, a few months later, my grandfather went blind because he had a tumor. It didn't affect his thinking, but it affected his optic nerve. And so he was completely blind. And, uh, and he required all of us grandkids to read him the Bible eight hours a day in shifts. And none of my family was saved. So that's my lineage, my grandfather. But I want to talk about the things that dads do. And I, I want to say that dads, they, pr- they protect, they promote, and they provide for their families. And I would include their friends and community, like fathers. The influence of fatherhood spans way beyond our own homes, doesn't it? And we often find ourselves being fathers to people who don't have fathers, to children who don't have a dad, as my grandfather was to me. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and to keep it. Would everybody say cultivate? And keep. It's the, it's the Hebrew word, it's probably pronounced way differently, but something like shamar. And it means to, to be a bodyguard, to beware, to be a guardsman, to protect, to spy out, to be a watchman, to be careful. And there was one more. To, yeah, I said it, to beware. 
And so the Lord puts Adam in the garden to cultivate, which you would understand the cultivate part, but to keep it. It, In other words, what I'm getting at is it was in the DNA of Adam to protect, to be a noble defender of the garden. Like the word, this, this word shamar is most often used for the word beware. Like if you want to, if you want to do evil to the garden, beware, there is a noble defender. It's in his very DNA to defend the garden. And I want to point out that we men, we must make, we must be clear. There must be a clear message sent to all hostiles, both natural and spiritual, that there is a noble defender of this family, that an attack on this household will be met with great personal resistance. Furthermore, there is a loyal, determined, and unrelenting man who abides in this family fortress, and he has a very special set of skills. Endowed by his creator to protect the family's honor and to defend the family name. How many of you know that the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty for pulling down strongholds. I want to point out to men that we actually, it's in our DNA. We actually know how to protect. It's deep in our DNA. And we men, fathers, we are commissioned to be courageous. We don't have the luxury of retreating in the face of danger. Fathers are called to run towards the sound of trouble, engage hostility that perpetuates itself against our families, our friends, and our communities. And we are there at the first sign of danger. There is something in us like, that wants to protect our families. There is something in us that wants to protect our, even our friends and, and, and other children. Our own deep sense of spiritual inadequacy will not be defeated in retreat. Let me say that one more time. Our own sense of spiritual inadequacy will not be defeated when I retreat. Are you following me? It will only be dethroned as we press into God and learn how to destroy the works of the devil. Our personal victories become our family's corporate covering. Every foe that we defeat in our own life is one less foe that they will face in theirs. Every time we have a personal victory, that is one less foe that our family will face. And if they do face it, they will face it with momentum, generational momentum. Are you following me? And whenever our children watch us having a private conversation with God in prayer, they actually kept a a glimpse into the power of the age to come that's being infused into the family trust. When my kids catch me praying, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking about Matthew 5, I'm praying to be noticed. I'm just talking about I actually have a prayer life. And that once in a while, my children open the door and they catch their father praying. Their mothers too, of course. Mm -hmm. They catch a glimpse into the power of the age to come that's being infused into the family trust. They say things like, my mama prayed for me all the time. I heard her in the bedroom praying for me. I knew when I was on drugs, I'd eventually be off of drugs because I know that my mama was praying for me. I know when my business failed that my daddy was praying for me. I knew I would have a recovery because I understand the power of the age to come. 
It's just something in us men that's in our DNA. I remember the first week that we were married, Kathy and I were married, my best friend, he was, he was one of my, he was a be- my best friend at one point in high school, but he was one of my close friends. And I received Christ at 18. I uh, received Christ about halfway through my senior year in high school. And um, he did not. He continued in his ways. And uh, at, at my wedding, he was, he was not in my wedding, but he was at my wedding. He got drunk. And so he was, he was just like not, definitely not walking with the Lord. And a week after our, our marriage, our wedding, he was at my house and he was visiting us and my, Kathy was obviously brand new, brand, brand new wife and she was at the, at the sink washing dishes and he walked over and he was talking to her and I was sitting at the table and he put his hand on her butt and he began to rub her butt. Something came over me. No, listen, 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 this, remember, I'm a brand new husband. Something came over me I didn't know was in me. And I stood up and I said, get out of my house. Get out of my house now. I've never seen that man again in 50 years. Now, let me say this. I probably would handle it differently today. Probably I would handle it differently today. But my point is, is there was something in me that came alive when I got into the circumstance that I didn't know was in me. I never had, parent, I never had a, a father protect me. I never, had, I never had anyone say, you need to protect this woman. I was a brand new newlywed, but there was something in the DNA that, that Eden kind of, you don't, you don't want to cross that line when a man knows God, because there is a noble defender of this house. And for some of us, for some of us, the feelings of inadequacy are so strong on us. We're like, I, I don't want to marry. I've had a friend of mine um, dating someone for a long time. He's like, I, I don't want to marry until I'm, I get rid of this fear. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like people say, I, I, I want to be ready to have a baby. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I understand there should be some maturity. But if you're ready to have a baby and it's your first one, you, 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 it's because you're ignorant. <laughs> and I said to my friend, like, the only way you're going to be ready for marriage is to get married. I have these feelings of inadequacy. You're not going to get rid of them until you get in there and something will happen to you and you'll either climb or die and you are a man of God, so you will climb. There's this great story, it was written on September 20th of 2021 about Southwood High School. And you may remember it, it was, it was a pretty big deal in, uh, a couple of years ago when Southwood, Southwood High School had a really uh, bad, uh, violent breakout. 23 students arrested, the school was just ravaged by violence. And it was in the newspapers and the, you know, the school board was trying to figure out what to do. Teachers trying to figure out what to do. Superintendent of schools trying to figure out what to do. And a man, his name is uh, Michael, I think it's LeFint. And he, he gathered a bunch of fathers, 40 of them actually. And he said, guys, this is, what are we going to do about this? Like our kids are in this school. And 40 fathers decided to actually go to the school and walk the, the halls. They called them dads on duty. And really crazy. So what they did is they organized into, you know, into teams so that there would always be a, you know, more than one father walking the halls. 
uh, over a period of several days, and within about one week, all the violence stopped. In fact, the newspaper said it stopped immediately. And so they, the, it, it was so profound, there was such a profound change in atmosphere that the media began to come to the school and interview both the dads on duty and the students. And they asked, they asked uh, Michael, they said, you know, what, what compelled you to, what compelled you to, to do this? He said, what compelled you, they said, what compelled you guys to take a stand? And he, he responded, the students, I'm sorry, I don't know what he said. <laughs> oh, he said, we are dads, and we decided the best people who take, to take care of our kids is us. But they interviewed the students, which was very interesting. There were several statements that the students made, and they interviewed this gal, and they said, you know, what's happened? Is this real? And she said, absolutely. And they said, and from your perspective, what changed? And she said, have you ever seen a dad look? And all the men did was walk down the halls, smile at people, and give them the dad look. And everything shifted. I I love it because there's something about the presence of fathers that brings protection, that speaks of, that that speaks of care, that speaks of safety. Are you with me? And so fathers protect, they also promote Fathers promote. Now, when I'm talking about promoting, I'm not talking about like, you know, being a professional promoter. I'm talking about you help your children find their place in in society. First of all, I like to point out that it is the sperm of the man, of the father, that determines the sex. It's either XX for women or XY for man. There is only two sexes, by the way. There's only two genders. And, you know, I know this isn't popular, but contrary to popular opinion, you can't choose your gender. You can choose to be a man and act like a woman. You can choose to be a woman and act like a man, but it doesn't change your gender. You can have, you know, transition surgery, but it'll just be cosmetic because it won't change your DNA. Your DNA is man or woman. And that came from the sperm of your dad. And my point is, is that it's in the DNA of husbands. Now, let me say, fathers and mothers both help promote. Okay, so today we're talking about who's, at the, who's leading in that. Who was supposed to be leading in that. And I'd point out that Romans 1, 20 says, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature clearly seen in what God made. What I'm getting at is you can look at nature and know the nature of God. You can look at nature and know the nature of what God created. And God created the Father to determine your gender. So ladies, you're a lady. Because your dad's sperm. He determined what you'd be. You're, guys, you're a guy because of your dad's sperm. I'm saying the, the, one of the biggest decisions that you don't get to make was made for you by your father's sperm. And secondly, when men and women marry, they most typically take on the last name of the husband. Now, I understand there's some exceptions and some people are mad about it. But the truth is, is that when the two become one, they typically take on the name, last name, of the husband. Why? Because it is the legacy, it is the husband who is determining the legacy of... Now, I have two daughters, and they have different last names, but they often use their Valentin name as part of their last name. I, I enjoy that, with a little hyphen. 
and I say, you should capitalize Valentin. <laughs> so I'm pointing out that fathers help their children find and determine their destiny. That's my point. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. The way they should go, men, and I'm giving an exhortation to our fathers. We get to figure out the way they should go, or can I say, determine with God the way they should go and help them walk in it. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, I've quoted this so many times in the last year, you know, it's, we, it, the verse says, we no longer know, we no longer know one another after, this, after the flesh, for we knew Christ this way once before. Next verse, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. My point is, is that we need to have spiritual eyes, men and women, but I'm talking to men, fathers today, we need to have spiritual eyes so that we can help determine and where our children are supposed to go by the Spirit. It, it, you know, it's such a, it was such an almost failure in the days of David when Samuel, the prophet, went to Jesse's house, sent by God, to find a king. And David and Jesse, David's father, lines seven brothers up. And Samuel goes to his house, and he sees Elib, the oldest. And he look, he's head and shoulders taller than everybody. He, let me say this, he looks kingly. And Samuel's going to anoint him king. God rebukes him and said, don't look as man looks, but look as God looks. So he goes down the row of all seven sons looking to anoint a king and doesn't find a king. And he says to Jesse, are these all your sons? He says, oh, no, I got one more. He's out, in the, he's out with the sheep. So we'll go get him. They call David in. And when he runs, as he runs in, the Bible describes him as redheaded and ruddy. Uh, let me break it down for you. He don't look kingly. How many of you know, there may be someone growing up in your home who's a king, who's a queen. I'd like to point out that some of the kings and queens that are growing up in your home aren't the people you as a mother or father would choose to be king. And they might be taking care of you someday when you are old. I've already determined which children are taking care of me. I'm pointing out, fathers, that we have to have the eyes of the Spirit and we have to be looking for what God sees in our children. They may be metaphorically redheaded and ruddy. They may not look like the people that you would choose, but how many know God chooses people that are often rejected by men? As a matter of fact, the Bible says, now David said in the Psalms, he said, I was in sin, I was conceived. The idea is he was probably, the, came from adulterous relationship that his father Jesse had. It's probably why he, didn't, he wasn't in the lineup. And how many know things happen in our life that we think we're disqualified by? Well, I didn't have the upbringing Elip had. You know, Elip's the favorite. Elip looks like, and God's like, I don't choose that way. <laughs> Fathers, are you with me? Much better than your response. <laughs> Isaiah 4, 1 says, For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will t- eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name. Yeah. Yeah. For seven women will take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat of our own bread. We will, we will wear our own clothes. Only let us take on your name. And I believe that we are in a day like that. of all children in America born out of wedlock. And these these women who were in tune to what their children really needed said, listen, we're not asking for food. 
You don't even you don't you don't have to provide for us substance. We just need your name. Just give my children your name. And I believe that we've lost sight of what fathers bring to culture. And we don't just bring provision, but we bring a name. How many know that we're being taught in culture that fathers and mothers are interchangeable? You can have two daddies. You can have two mommies. And how many know in order to in order to create mommies and daddies who are interchangeable, you have to make them the same. So you have to shame masculinity and make it toxic. And you have to promote the masculine in the feminine so that you can make them the same and exchange them. But I want to tell you, you're not the same. Women and men are equally powerful, but they are distinctly different. You can dress different. Guys, you can talk with a high voice and put a dress on, but it's not going to make you a woman. I don't mean it disrespectfully. I'm saying there is nothing you can do. An apple can't be an orange. It's in your DNA. And I understand that from my own struggles, 20 years trying to get free from the way I was raised, that it is tough when it's never been mauled in a healthy way for you. But it's a lot tougher to try to be what you'll never be. So fathers, I, I, I want to I talk for a minute about this identity thing that we do. I love what uh, his last name is Bruno. His first name is Chris Bruno. He said, boys are born of the womb, but men are born of men. It's the second birth, the birth of the masculine. And I want to talk about, just for a minute, for a few minutes, about this whole idea of the rite of passage. The rite of passage is what happens when a boy becomes a man and he's acknowledged by other men. There's so much, there are so much of the feelings of inadequacy come in our, in our culture because we don't actually have a rite of passage in most cultures. You know, a woman, a girl, when she becomes a woman, she starts her menstrual cycle. And that cycle, it you know, depicts, or it's a, it's a place of demarcation. It says the girl can now, now be pregnant. She can be a mother. And the dealing with the, the, um, her, her uh, period, women have to come around her and help her to know how to deal with her crossing over, with, 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 her, with her period. But so there's an acknowledgement because of the care it takes in, in, in dealing with that, that women, whether they, they may not say, welcome to womanhood, but there is an acknowledgement that a girl can now, is now a woman and there is an acknowledgement in, in her transition that you are now a woman. But a boy, when he becomes a man, doesn't have, he doesn't, he doesn't have a period. He doesn't have a point of demarcation. You are now a man. You can now, bear, you can now have children. You can now be a father. And so it's really important 
that boys are acknowledged as men and that there is a rite of passage. Are you, are you with me at all? And, um, and so I want to give you just a, a few uh, things that boys need to become men. Uh, th- this rite of passage, fathers, is so necessary in our lives that we would actually help these boys transition to men. We would acknowledge these boys as transitioning to men. Here's, here's a few of them. Number one, that a boy needs to be acknowledged as a man. I remember when I was 16 years old, I worked on my grandfather's farm during the summertime. He lived in Oakdale, California, and I lived there all summer long. And I remember when I was 16, we, uh, harvest time was always in the summer when I was there. And my grandfather, I walked out of the farmhouse one day, and my grandfather threw me the keys to the tractor. And he said, you'll be driving the tractor this, during the harvest. Now, I, I don't know if you would know what that meant. But what it meant was only men were allowed to drive tractors, not boys. And my grandfather said, you'll be driving the tractors. You will... You'll be picking up all the bends. You'll be driving the tractor. He basically said, you are a man. I had worked on the farm since I was 13. You are a man. You will drive the tractor this year. What I'm getting at is, rite of passage isn't just a ritual. It's an acknowledgement that the boy has become a man. And number two, they need to be treated as men. Part of the rite of passage is our kids were required to be treated as men as men, as women. I remember when our kids were, you know, we used to have a curfew, like our kids would be in bed at 10 or 11. But when they hit 15 or 16, and they were acting semi-responsibly, we're like, okay, you have no curfew. You can stay up as late as you want. But remember that you will have the ramifications of your actions. I remember the first week, that it was three o'clock in the morning. I got up to go to the restroom. My, the, the boys' bedroom was right above our, our bedroom. I got up. I hear them playing video games. It's three o'clock in the morning. I said, this is going to be so good. <laughs> the boys are becoming men. And so uh, I hear the bus pull up at around seven. I don't hear our front door open. I hear the bus pull away. And I, 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 I leaned over to Kathy in bed and I said, no mercy. <laughs> so about 15 minutes later, our oldest son comes to the bedroom and he's like, I missed the bus. I'm like, oh, wow. He said, I need a ride to school. I said, oh no, it's not my problem. It's your problem. Well, what do you mean? I said, you, you're a man now. I, I don't know what to say. You stayed up all night playing video games not my problem. Well, what am I going to do about that? I don't know. Are you asking for my advice? Because it isn't my problem, but if you'd like me to give you some input, I'm glad to do that. Well, what do you want me to do? No, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to be in school. Well, what do you think I should do? I said, well, it's about two and a half miles. You went out for track. I, I probably run there. You could walk there. You could skate there. You could use your skateboard there. He walks out of the room, stomps upstairs. And um, so he takes off walking about 20 minutes later. And uh, I get in my car and I drive right past him. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I beeped and waved.
Beep, beep. You're a man now. Write a passage. You have to take on the ramifications of your actions now. Your mom and dad are not going to rescue you. You have more authority, but you have more responsibility. And I would say to my kids all the time, I want you, I want you to make all your mistakes in our house while you're in our house. So let me say this. He was pretty mad for a few days, but he never missed bus again. <laughs> they need to be trained. Number three, the rite of passage. They need to be trained as men. It's so important for young men to get a behind-the-scenes look at what's happening in our marriages. Now, I, I don't know about you, but you know, I grew up in a really rough home. I told you about pieces of it. So you, know, you sort of react to the way you were raised, and you're like, I never want my kids to see anything wrong. I never want my kids to see anything going wrong in our home. And we did that for several years. And I remember the Lord actually talked to me about it. And he said, if your kids don't see anything going wrong, they're not going to, first of all, they're going to get married. And when something goes wrong in their life, they're going to think something's wrong with their marriage. And secondly, they're not going to know how to handle it because they've never seen you handle anything wrong. Yeah. So my children grew up, and I, I, I said jokingly, but it's true, our electricity was turned off three times. Our phone was turned off numerous times. Our cars got repossessed. People brought us food, groceries twice in two, two strong, two bad winters when we were in business. And my kids were on the, you know, my kids participated in the prayer dinner for food tomorrow. My kids participated in the prayer at dinner time for the electricity to not get turned off tomorrow morning. My kids know what it is to pray for a miracle because they watch their parents need one. And what I'm getting at is part of the way our boys become men is to be trained for circumstances that aren't fun. And I understand that there are things to protect your kids from, of course, but they need to be born in a battlefield. Um, Boys need to be talked to as men. That's another conversation. I just have 12 minutes Boys need, to, boys need to be handled man's responsibility. We'll talk about that another time. Men, boys need to be invited to a man's table. I remember this story. My, when I was 15, well, first of all, my, I, I grew up in a Spanish family. My grandparents are from Spain. And so it's a very patriarchal family. My grandfather controlled our family. And we had to pay homage to my grandparents at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Like, everybody did. Like, you had to show up. You could stay for an hour, but you had to show up. In my late 30s, we were still showing up. And, uh, and I remember that my grandparents didn't have a very big house, so we had this, they had this table, like, for 12, and then they had, after that, they, they, they stick card tables next to it, and after that, there was plywood that went deep into the hallway that was on sawhorses. And so the adults sat at the big table, the, the teenagers sat at the car tables, and then the kids sat at the, at the plywood. And I remember being 15, I've told the story a few times, so you've probably heard it. At 15, I decided that I was ready to have the rite of passage myself. <laughs> so I got intentionally, I got early to the dinner table, and I sat with the adults I'll never forget this the rest of my life. My mother was sitting directly across from me and all the adults sat down and there was no word spoken. My mother just put down her her fork and spoon and stared at me. Everybody stopped eating and they all looked at me as if 
you can't be this stupid. I got up from the table without anyone saying anything to me, but by the time I went to get a place at the table, I was only the plywood left. And I sat at the plywood with the little kids and decided I would never do that again. When I was 17, I moved out on my own. And uh, I remember it was Thanksgiving. And I remember I was sitting, I got there, I sat at the table with my cousins. Most of my cousins were around the same age. And my grandfather always sat at the end of the table, looking down the table. And we sat down to eat. And right before we, right before we ate, my grandfather looked down the table and he said, hey, knucklehead. That was my name. I said, yeah. He goes, you belong up here with us. Make some room for Chris to sit here. That was a rite of passage. My grandfather's like, you are a man now. You've taken on the responsibility, man. You deserve to sit up here having adult conversations with the adults. You are a man now. I'm pointing out, man, there are boys that are in their 20s and 30s and have not ever had anyone say, come over, knucklehead. Come over to the big table and eat with us. And lastly, I'll say this, that boys who become men need a transfer of ownership. This is tough for people. Well, let me say it's tougher for Kathy than me. There is a time when we have to say to our sons and our daughters, oh, that insurance bill is yours. Hey, you want to live on, at the house after 18? You've got to participate in uh, food. You have to participate in what the adults do. Well, I don't want to do that. That's fine. There's a door right there and we'll be here for you. But I'm not saying there's a door like you're out. I'm pointing out that there is a time when we have to stop funding them, when they must fund themselves. Well, my son doesn't have a job. Well, this is the circle. He doesn't need one. He's got you. And he and she, who have passed over into adulthood, need to feel the pressure of what it's like to have to work so you can eat. And sometimes, in our love for them, we are keeping them from the rite of passage. And what we need to say to them is, You're, you can do this. You're amazing. You, you have what it takes. You are fully prepared. It got really quiet in here. <laughs> I know why, too. <laughs> so I want to point out that the rite of passage isn't a one-time ritual. It's that I begin, as a father, I begin to treat my sons, my daughters too, I begin to treat my sons as men so that they don't grow up or grow old but not grow up. Are you with me? I, I want to pray for the men today. If I could have all the men stand up. If, you're, if you have an XY chromosome, I want you to stand up. <laughs> you might be five years old, or you might be 90 years old, but if you have an XY chromosome, I want you to stand up. Well, I'm just a boy. No, you are a man in a boy's body. You are a man. And I want to pray for you But I want to first say this. I hope you're listening with your spiritual ears. 
If you're watching by Bethel TV, I'd love for you to participate in this. Stand up or some way acknowledge that you are taking a stand for this. I want to say to you men that you are adequate. I don't feel adequate. I didn't say you were going to feel adequate. I said you are. You are adequate. And it might be that somebody needs protection, like the story I told you about my friend who decided to be inappropriate with my wife, that actually you step in that day and you're like, I didn't know that was in me. But I want to prophesy to you right now. There are going to be things that happen over the next month after this day where you are losing the sense of inadequacy because the Lord moves you into action of your identity. And I prophesy that to you right now. Some of you for years, I, I, you know, I hear this in men who are 60. I have counseled men who are 60, friends of mine who say this. I, I, I've felt my whole life like I'm a boy in a man's body. I'm like, well, it's not true. You're a man. It's just you didn't have a grandfather who said, come to the big table. You didn't have a grandfather who said, here's the tractor keys. You're ready. And therefore, that thing that was supposed to happen in your late teen years didn't happen to you. It didn't catalyze the fact that you are adequate, that you are a man. But I want to tell you, no less, but you are no less of a man. And I prophesy to every person who's standing, you are a man. I prophesy to the young men who are standing, who are in their, in their, in their, in their boy ages, you are a man in a boy's body. You have fully, you have been born for what you are. You have what it takes. The Garden of Eden, God prophesied to you, you are a cultivator and you are a keeper. You are a protector. And Lord, I just release that over all these men. The men that are on our, on our campus online and the men that are in this room, I prophesy to you that you are adequate for every good work in Christ Jesus. You may be afraid, but when you run to the battle, on the way to the battle, you get what you need to defeat those giants. Lord, I thank you right now that you are defeating giants in their lives right now. You are breaking, you are breaking habits. You are, you are annihilating pornography. You are, canceling, you are canceling ties to things that should have never been tied to them. Lord, I break generational things that our fathers never broke for us. That we were, we, we, we were born with their ball and chain. That we were born with, with their battles unwon. And Lord, we, I, I thank you right now that you are going through and you are cutting balls and chains. You are, you are cutting off the, 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 the things that we've been dragging out around for two and three generations. Fathers and grandfathers who never won their personal battles. As a matter of fact, they perpetuated and they grew in their lives and they handed it to us and said, hopefully you can greet this thing because I never did. And Lord, I pray today that there would be such an uprising there would be such a powerful uprising that there would, be, there would be demons defeated. There would be bad habits. There would be laziness and procrastination and fear and stuff that has kept us from being fully alive, from our families being fully successful, for us, for us being in poverty. I break the power of poverty off of us that may be passed down from generation to generation. Lord, I break the power of poverty. You said I gave you the power to make wealth. 
that it would show that you're in covenant with me. And Lord, I just bless these men right now. I pray there would be a renewed sense of spirit. I pray that our children, as we go home, our children would be like, what happened to my dad? What happened to my grandfather? Something happened to them. He got, went to this crazy service and the prophet prophesied that he's a man now and he even acts like a man now. Lord, I just release people from irresponsibility. Uh, I break the power of laziness in Jesus' name. Apathy. Lord, I pray that when we see trouble, it's in our community, in our house, in our state, we would run, nobody would have to say, well, we got to rally. We would just say, somebody's got to do something. I'm a man. I'm going to do something. I just release that over you in Jesus' name, that you would be a participator in cultivating and keeping the gardens around us in Jesus' name. I pray that California would be alive with fatherhood. Come on. I prophesy that fathers would rise up and say, you are not transgendering our children. You are not teaching this crap to our children. And that fathers would lead the way. I pray that dads on duty would grow by 100,000. 10 times, 100 times, 100,000 times. That dads everywhere, moms too, by the way, it's Father's Day, so give me a break, women. That dads would rise up and say, not on my ship. This will not happen on my ship. That we would... Fill board meetings, that we would fill school board meetings, that we would fill, come on, the offices of righteousness, that righteousness would reign again. And Lord, it would be that people would, I just prophesy that a father's movement is going to break out at Brave Co. this week. And that there's going to be such an uprising that there's going to be a, a tectonic, yes, how it goes, shift. There's going to be an earthquake in California. I'm not talking about a physical earthquake. I'm talking about a spiritual earthquake. And they're going to say, well, everything shifted in a day. Something's changed. And Lord, I pray that you would trouble fathers. Just like you troubled the water of uh, the Bethesda. It says the angels went down and they troubled the water. I pray you would trouble our waters. I pray that you trouble the waters of men in, our, in, our, in this community, but in our church, Lord. You would trouble us. You, we wake up in the middle of the night and say, who's doing something about this? We've got to rise up. We, someone's got to do something. Lord, I pray that when we see our children abused, that it would piss us off. That we would be angry in the spirit. That there would be a righteous anger that rises in us that says, not on my shift, not in my land. And Lord, I pray for such a powerful sense of courage that it'd be like Gideon when God put him, him on like a glove and sent him out to defeat his, get this, his father's and grandfather's enemy. What his grandfather and father let live in his land, Gideon goes, I'll take care of it for us. And Lord, I bless this Gideon generation in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much, Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.